Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. You're listening to episode number 44, Caption Copy with Emma Gibbons. Emma Gibbons is the copywriter on Team MKWCC, and I interviewed her back on episode number 29 about writing better brand copy. But in today's episode, we talk specifically about caption copywriting for social media and how to keep track of your archetypes as you're writing captions that actually convert people to doing the things that you want them to do as a business, which is like buy your products and enlist your services. This is a huge episode and I know you guys are going to take a ton of notes because we covered a lot of ground in just 40-ish minutes. So enjoy and let us know what you think. Kiss my aesthetic. Branding, marketing, entrepreneurship. You're listening to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I am your host, Michelle Winterstein of MKW Creative Co., where we build bragworthy brands for social media minded entrepreneurs. And you are in the right spot for branding, marketing, entrepreneurship advice that you can apply in your own business to better reach your ideal client online. Let's get to today's episode. Greetings and welcome back to the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. I have a repeat guest today. You guys loved the first episode and she's here with us this time rebranded, Emma Givens Content and Copy. Emma, welcome back. Woo. <laughs> Thank you for having me back as Emma Gibbons content coach. Heck yeah. Uh, if you don't know or somehow you've missed my Instagram stories tagging her pretty much every week, Emma's been helping with our full service brand design clients and now also with social media management clients to help set the tone for brand voice when it comes to social media copy. So Emma, tell us about the difference between copywriting and content writing. Mm, I love starting with these definitions. Okay. <laughs> So copywriting is anything you write with the goal of selling someone on something. So basically in exchange, you're asking for their money, their energy, their email address, their time. They have to invest something in you. So that is copy technically. It is often used as a catch-all term, but that is technically copy. So if you're researching it, know the difference because it will direct you in that direction. Content is everything that you do to create relationships and to basically attract an audience, warm them up. So that would be things like social media posts that are not calls to action to buy something. And so every other type qualifies as content. Blog posts qualify as content. Your about page, those sorts of things are all content. So really important to know the differences so you can be really intentional about the techniques that you use for each of them. But they both are fundamental to a well-run marketing machine. Absolutely. So when we're working with brands on the first end of this, I, like I said, I bring you in on these full service brand design projects. I have a questionnaire that we work through that includes some of the questions that you like to ask. And then I get to pass my client to you and you start to talk to them about brand archetypes. This is something that I think as a designer, I just kind of knew inherently about asking these questions about like who your ideal client is and how you'd like to speak with them. But tell us how you do this in a more formalized way with brand archetypes and why they're important. Absolutely. Yeah, they're they're crucially important for everything we just talked about. So from the visual brand design to the copy and the content. And the great news is if you do it early on and you do it right, <laughs> it will create this really cohesive experience of your brand no matter if someone is just looking at it or if they're reading an engaging post or if you're actually selling them on a sales page. So really, really key. The way that I approach it is we start with a conversation about their values and their ideal clients. So we learn a little bit about this person's psychology, the brand owner psychology, 
as well as their ideal client psychology. And you find basically that there is a certain middle ground, sort of like a lingua franca that you create together. And that really is the, the benefit of the archetype. So we'll get super clear on, okay, what is that universal story? And actually, maybe to go back a little bit, the archetypes are <laughs> created or recognized by Carl Jung, who was a psychoanalyst in the 20th century. And he identified 12 stories that show up across cultures, across time periods. He's not necessarily the first person, but he's really the first person who codified it. And so even though they're the same essential stories or, or personalities over and over again, they're so authentic to humanity that we just resonate with them. It doesn't matter how many times we hear about it. It just feels true. It feels good. And we all have a certain couple of archetypes, but for sure one dominant archetype that is really present in us and really makes us who we are. So being super clear about that gives you some conscious decision-making behind how you speak, how you show up in the world, knowing that that is what your people are attracted to. So you're going to have a lot of guidance around how you tell stories, what specific words you use. In your case, it can inform things like colors and shapes. And it's so, so powerful because it, it is this universal subconscious, genuinely language, a way of communicating that hits people on such a much deeper level than just speaking to their logical mind. Because really, if we're talking about marketing and building an audience, it is so much more than their logical mind. They People first connect with you based on emotions and then they justify with logic. Like even in a great sales page, it's the emotional, like, yes, this person gets me. Then let me read the details to make sure that this actually makes sense. And I think this is this is where we really start to tip into bragworthy brands. Bragworthy is kind of a term I've coined as measuring if a brand is going to be a good fit for my team or not, because we work across industry, we work product-based, service-based, new entrepreneurs, seasoned entrepreneurs. So what is that criteria that really aligns with what we do well? And I think the combination of branding plus social is like, we want to work with bragworthy brands and a bragworthy brand has that longer, no like trust kind of cycle, right? It's not like walking into the grocery store and just grabbing a carton of milk because it's a carton of milk and you need milk. It's more about like creating more of that long lasting relationship. And you do that through these archetypes. And there's so much language around this. Like people get into horoscopes or you can get into like hero versus guide, or you can do predictive index or Myers-Briggs. Like there's all these different personality types and different like criteria, but can you give an example and not to put you on the spot, but I know you've done some of this work for my brand is like, the MKW creative co-archetype is versus some of the client archetypes that we're starting to attract? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because it depends a lot on your archetype. If you work people who are like you, or if you work for people who are dis like, or not, not alike, let's use right. that term. Right. So I think a really dominant archetype for you is the maverick, which we've talked about before. And because I work a lot with mixes, talking about something that's really like you were born with versus what you've grown into as an adult, I would say that the MKW approach is very maverick, very creator. And so what that means is that you're always doing things really your own way. It has a lot of sense behind it. You're great at communicating it. But at the same time, you're not playing by anybody else's rules. You're transforming <laughs> the system so that it's actually the most effective it can be. And there's inherently a lot of creativity involved. And I think that's why people go to you is because they know that 
Michelle's got this covered for me. I don't have to pull this out of my brain. She already has the skills. She has that strategy. This is why they come to you is because of your unique approach and your unique creativity. So you have that really special mix that is really attractive to people because of those particular types that may not necessarily be Mavericks and creatives. So there's actually a ton of brand designers who learn from you, but they're not going to be the people who are buying brand design services from you. You don't necessarily need to sell to another creator. Who you're selling to is maybe someone like me, who's very much a sage, who is very in my head, very wordy. <laughs> you know, that's my area of expertise, which is why I outsourced all my branding to Michelle <laughs> and her team. Um, so we're really very complementary in that sense. There are some archetypes where you're going to be attracting people who are very much like you. But I would say a lot of the time you have a really complementary type and it's never about trying to sound like them. It's trying to sound more like you using language that they understand because they want to work with you. They don't want to work with themselves. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Such, and you could see so many parallels in this in business, et cetera. I have Joe Johnson over B's brand archetypes here because I know you worked with her on mm. them and we're wrapping up her branding here by the time we're recording this. And you've kind of thrown things into three categories as well as like the dominant archetype, the conditioned archetype yeah. and the intuitive archetype. So you have archetypes mm -hmm. in general as like, who is your business and who's your client? But then you have them in subsections again, dominant, conditioned, intuitive. Can you give us an overview of what those mean? Yeah, absolutely. So we could start with the last one, basically. Intuitive is essentially how you were born. So if your parents described the way that you were when you were five, like I am very different than when I was five. I was loud and... Oh, I'm the same. Singing. Well, <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, I, I suspect if someone gets to know us, uh, and until they get to know us super well, they're going to know that about you. I don't necessarily know that people would guess that about me. So I've really transformed differently from that type. And I think it's because of what I've grown into. So basically the intuitive type is the way you were born and it's always going to be with you. It's always a kind of default part of you. The condition type is, I would say, like the teenage years. So it's when you learned how to be in the world that was helpful for you, was protective of you, um, but it's not necessarily very authentic to you. And it was, it was to get you through a certain period of time. So it's helpful, but we tend to write with the condition type instead of with who we really are. So we have to be very aware of it so that we can stop leaning so hard into it. And the dominant type is our adult selves. So it's really, really great to focus on your dominant type because it's your like whole integrated self. You've made the condition type really like logical and in infused it into you without letting it take over. And your intuitive type is more mature now. So they often, that intuitive and dominant tend to be connected. So maybe that's why you were saying, I would laugh. No, this kid. makes so much sense. And we haven't done this, like done this so formally for my business yet, but like my intuitive type is definitely like creative. Like I was always crafting. I was always like had this idea and I could do this and I could be the director of like my whole family's plays and like was always going over the top to be creative was like the more intuitive. The conditioned is more like the business savvy. So like I learned business yeah. by trial and error, by watching my parents by the organization and the systems and the process and like that doesn't come as naturally to me as the creativity creativity got it unlocked like mm -hmm. that is that is my descriptor that was like michelle comma creative like my whole life so then the conditioned is more like how do you learn to like channel that into something that that is logical like the logic stuff is more i feel right-brained and then the dominant ends up this like perfect marriage of like the creative but organized and you know goals driven and uh success oriented like that becomes this great combination that's like that maverick thing where it's not just creative yeah. loopy do i'm just gonna go draw in my sketchbook all day it's like no let's make something and like let's make money while we do it like that's the fun part absolutely totally that's a great great description of it and i think that's such a great example of why that dominant when you really live through that dominant archetype 
it can be so healthy. Like that is a great expression of both of those two things that you came up with as you were growing up, right? So I think really leaning into that dominant archetype and the way you tell stories and the language that you use can be so, so powerful because it's people connecting to the best of you in a lot of ways. So it should really guide most of the branding. Makes so much sense. So if we know this brand archetype kind of foundation, right? We know this about how we are as business owners, as well as like how, what our ideal client or customer, their archetypes are, because you've worked with the two of us. How do we channel that now towards social media, towards content, not even towards copy, but towards actual content that's going to be useful for your audience? I think it's really, really important that when you look at your archetypes, you'll notice that there are key words that come up time and time again that your people are going to be drawn to. So that's one element. You're consciously injecting specific language into your work. So for me, for example, I'm a sage. I'll use words like wisdom. That's actually the name of one of my frameworks is the wisdom framework. So I made sure that all of the uh, each letter lined up so that it would end up sounding like a sage word because it conveys something on a subconscious level. So that's one piece. There's also certain storytelling techniques that are going to be especially impactful for your dominant archetype. So if we're talking about one of the caregiver archetypes, which is like the dominant one of those 12 is the caregiver, you're going to be talking about things like nostalgia. So, you know, maybe comparing an experience to when your mom made you a bowl of chicken noodle soup when you're a little kid. And so it really allows you to lean in to even written visuals. So you could go really literal with it as Mm -hmm. well, but definitely even writing. Um, And it lets you bring in like the five senses basically as well. So being really intentional about that archetype mix is really, really helpful to creating content that's emotionally resonant and is also, it's structured and we can get into that in a little bit, but it's structured in a way that also brings them on the journey that you want to take them on. So it makes it pop for them connect to you emotionally because of all this archetype language and storytelling that's in there. And then by the end, you'll ask them to do a certain thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it basically builds your brand. It builds your business. Even if it's just growing your audience at that point, it's really absolutely key to make sure that you're asking them to do something afterwards. I think this dovetails so nicely into one of my other questions I had for you, which is some of the biggest <laughs> mistakes we see brands make when it comes to social media content writing. And what you just discussed reminds me of one of my pet peeves, which is somebody who says their ideal client is everyone or their only goal with social is followers, because that yeah. is not a very archetype-centric kind of approach to your marketing. Um, So talk to me about some of the bigger mistakes that you feel like clients you see happen over and over again with social media writing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is such an important piece because if I'm going to dive into someone's archetype, one of the first things we do and what we talked about is I talk about this founder's values and the psychology of their ideal client. (laughs) So we get really quickly past this idea that your brand is for everyone because it's just, you're not for everyone Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the kindest way possible. You know, there are certain people who connect with you and certain people you don't connect with either. So it's really, really important to know who it is genuinely that you want to talk to. And I think one thing that gets people really tripped up and why this happens so often is we see that demographic exercise, right? Like you know, male or female, or, you know, this is their household income, this is the city they live in. And I do think that there's a place for those kinds of questions, and they can be helpful. But that's really not what we need. We need to know psychographic questions. So that's stuff like what keeps them up at night? What are they afraid of? Who are they really angry at? And why? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what would they pay money to have solved? Those sorts of questions really do mean that 
you you hone in on a specific kind of person, not necessarily like, I don't know, suburban soccer mom, but more like a person. So maybe like a really creative person, mm-hmm. right? And what makes them creative? That, that may be that they create jewelry. It may be that they're a brand designer. Like there's a lot of different expressions within that archetype of the person. So I think that that's a really key point is to just realize that not everybody is for you. You're not for everybody. Let's hone in on who you'd love to work with because they're like this idea that you have to have thousands and thousands or a million followers. It's, there's this idea of like, think about if you genuinely met a hundred people who were excited about your product or your service and would pay you for it, you would be fine yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> for a chunk of time, especially if it's recurring. Exactly. So I do, I do think that what you're doing with social media essentially is you're just getting super clear on who those people are and creating content that emotionally resonates with them. So they keep coming back. They trust you. They want to eventually pay you for something. And that is definitely not measured by numbers of followers. It's more measured on engagement and how often you see those people leave social media to come hang out with you. Absolutely. On your email list, at your webinar. Um, yeah, so that's just kind of a deep dive into a one pet peeve you have, but it's definitely a pet peeve of mine too. It's one of the better ones. I think the other one that stands out for me is people who position themselves as the hero and not the guide. This is a big Donald Miller story brand, which Berta, note to you to link that in the in the show notes. It's one of our favorites, <laughs> um, the book and the audiobook. Because when we talk about hero versus guide, and I'll do my butchered interpretation of it, and then I'll pass it to you, is that in business, when you're selling a product or a service, you don't want to position yourself as the hero because when you're the hero, then your client also sees themselves as the hero and they say, cool, we're both heroes. And they kind of move along versus saying, hey, client, you're the hero here. This is your business, your dream, your vision, your goals, your whatever you want to make it. Let me help you get there. And then when that person feels triumphant, they can look back from the top of the hill and say, oh my gosh, you helped me get here. This is like the Yoda. This is the Haymitch in Hunger Games to Katniss. Like the guide is really the person that doesn't have this insurmountable feat or this big challenge ahead of them, but they are the ones that have already been there and they can help you get to where you want to go because they see you client as the hero. Absolutely. Another way I like to frame that is, and I, I love story brand. And I also like to incorporate the enemy. So I like to think of you not only as the guide, but like the little angel on their shoulder. And there's also a little devil on their shoulder. And it's your responsibility <laughs> to convey to them super, super clearly, hey, I can help you out of this. If you're in a bad situation, if you're just dissatisfied, you know, whatever it is you're going through, I have been there and come through the other side myself is option one, or that's exactly why I do the work I do. So you don't have to feel like this anymore. So you can live differently. And you're taking them basically to paradise. (laughs) They're following you, the angel to paradise versus, you know, it could be a literal competitor. It could just be whatever's in their way. So maybe like uh, the idea of super mom is their big issue and you help uh, coach women to overcome that. Right. So speaking to that, like saying, Hey, I see the little devil on your shoulder and it's horrible. If you follow that, if you keep letting that, like that Instagram highlight reel run your life and you're constantly comparing yourself just to give an example, then you're just going to either feel the same or you're going to feel worse in a year's time. So that is why I am here to tell you it can be different. I think thinking of it that way, not only is helpful in terms of like that story brand idea that you are the guide and your client is the protagonist or the hero, but also it makes it really, I find it helps me feel way more confident about talking about it. 
because I don't want you to suffer. <laughs> I want you to, in my case, I want you to make a great living doing work that you love. So I am going to talk about that all day long. It gives me so much fire to write content. And those are those hoorah <laughs> statements. Those are those vision statements that really drive like how you see the world. And if someone aligns with those vision statements, then they're going to be all that more um, enmeshed and ingrained in what you've got going on because you're now serving them yeah. on an ongoing basis instead of a transactional basis of like giving them that kind of that something to look forward to because they align with you. And again, that's like the brag worthy brand status. It's not just like, I'm going to buy this one thing and never interact with this brand ever again. And I'm interested. And I know you're interested in working with entrepreneurs and with brands that want to have that like ongoing relationship. So to make this even more casual and maybe more surface level, let's talk about this with Hotel Lobby Candle, right? So like Hotel Lobby Candle, it's not so much that we're saving you from despair. You know, it's not this devil on your shoulder, but it is kind of this (laughs) owning a candle and owning that particular candle is kind of a commentary on what you align with of like treating Mm -hmm. yourself and going above and beyond and feeling extra and feeling VIP and feeling special in that way. And so by having that, you know, like shelfy kind of moment on your Instagram with all these products that you feel are a reflection of you does appeal to that greater emotional desire, right? Of like how we portray ourselves online is how we, you're, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with, like kind of that theory. Is that making sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think honestly, in any brand you can find, even if it's not like a literal devil on the shoulder, you'll find like, even with hotel lobby candle, yes, it's, it's an amazing, beautiful product and it's an experiential product, but like, what is the opposite of that before? Like, is it kind of that like dollar store candle that doesn't smell like anything? <laughs> it's like a subpar experience. When I think about luxury and like product-based businesses a lot of the time, I'm often thinking of dissatisfaction. So rather than despair, dissatisfaction. I don't want anybody to live with that either. I think that's the beauty of uh, a brand like that, where it's kind of increasing the pleasure in somebody's life, making life more enjoyable. And that's also something to get super, super passionate about and talk about. It really can help you with both content and honestly, selling. So copywriting. Too, Absolutely. To like I'm super clear on why I'm going to make their life better. Absolutely. And this is where the caption copy really comes into play. So with Hotel Lobby Candle or some of the other brands that we're working with, like we want to talk directly to that person and not do what I see a lot of business owners do, which is like loosey goosey copy, which is like, if you want your house to feel like this, then you'll buy the candle. No, no you want your house to feel like this, this candle will make it feel that way. Like I find myself doing this with my own captions all the time is I have to correct myself of like, is this being direct enough? And most of the time it's not. And I find myself as a pretty direct person. So how do you help people kind of get around this like being wishy-washy or if you're someone who's struggling with social media, book a 15 minute discovery, like loose. Like it's not, it's not, it's a call to action with very, cautionary action how do you help people get through that yeah that's such a good good question i always call those kind of cushion words so if um i can or i help you and i think there's a time and place for them so the thing i would ask like if this was a writing coaching client saying "Mm, i'm not super confident about this like i don't know if they want this or if they want that i would tell them okay come back to me try it another way so instead of saying if you want your social media to stand out online. You could say, even want your social media to start out online. Like, just take the word if out, give it a try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
see if you can try it differently. And then if you still think it needs to have one of those cushion words in there. So again, oftentimes it's can, help, if. Those are the ones that come up all the time. Then explain it to me. If you can give me a good reason, I'll give you a pass to use it. But if you find, mm, no, it would be just as powerful. Like I can see, basically they'll come back and say it's more powerful to leave that word out. <laughs> That's pretty much always what happens. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a matter, like you said, even for me, the way we talk as people is we use a lot of those words, right? Right. It's just the way, especially women, we'll add the word just in all the mm-hmm. time. And I think it's totally okay to write a draft and then come back to it and take it out. I have to do that sometimes. And I'm a writer. It's just, you know, just like anything. You want to spell check, you want to check for cushion words. Put that on your list as, as you go through your spelling check. Yeah, it's kind of a conditioning of like, feeling like you have to soften your sales and there's a there is that difference in social media copy between like literally coming straight out and saying these are my services and this is the kind of clients I'm I'm trying to look for versus just kind of posting just to post and I think obviously if you're going to outsource your social there's no point in posting just to post we should be posting with a specific directive in mind right so if that's the case let's talk about evergreen copy and content versus more sales generating or timely content where it's like, I actually want to drive someone to do this thing. Like, what is that balance between like, I need to connect and have great copy and have this, have this, well, I'm conflating the two now. I want to have this great content. I want to have this content that educates and shows that I'm the expert versus I want these people to do this thing. What's the difference between those two? And then I feel like the other outlier to the other side of the spectrum is like, oh, I'm just posting about my day-to-day life, which is fine. But if all your posts are just, oh, here's my life, like you're not getting people closer to your goals as a business. So I don't know if that is a question more than just like kind of a kickoff springboard <laughs> of like, where do you feel like, how how do you approach? Because all if you lean only into one of those three things, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice. If you're only ever posting personal anecdotes, you're doing yourself a disservice. If you're only ever posting straight up content that's just educating people for free, then cool. They found your Instagram, like amazing. They don't have to work with you. And if three, if you only ever post like work with me, work with me, work with me, you're going to turn people off. It is this ebb and flow of those things. How do you approach that with someone? Yeah. So I, and I'm not the one who came up with this, but those are recognized buckets, right? Like there's the no like trust bucket, there's the expert or educational bucket, and then there is basically the sales bucket. And so they're only pieces of one pie. So if you only use one, someone's going to get sick on having too much whipped cream. It's <laughs> a way we can kind of look at it. So the way I like to describe it is you're going to, like, if you even just divided it, that pie into three pieces, right? So making sure that there's an equal amount of each thing in a week. So if let's say you were only going to post three times, you could post one sales post, you could post one educational post, and you could post one no like trust post. I would even up those last two categories and really only do sales once a week or like share your freebie in your stories if you're on Instagram, that sort of thing too, because it does fatigue people to see you constantly selling. Now, that said, those other pieces can absolutely support sales, but it's because you're building a lot of trust and trust is ultimately why people will buy from you versus somebody else. So if you are going to create evergreen content, that really does tend to fall into the expert or educational or the no like trust. And you tend to be able to recycle it. That's kind of how you can like a post on your values. Your values probably aren't going to change in six months from now. That's a good sign that it's an evergreen piece of content that you can either literally recycle or just kind of shape shift, divide into two different posts, however you want to do that. That tends to be the things that you have great 
education on, principles that are true to your business, systems that you teach about your business. So a lot of what Michelle talks about, for example, like a lot of what you talk about are your systems, like your onboarding process. You've got a podcast on that, you know, and that is something that, yes, is going to transform. But there's a lot of foundational stuff in there that is something you can send to people over and over again. You could create a social post about it tomorrow. And for the most part, a lot of what you created back then in the podcast episode would still be relevant. So that's a really good sign of that evergreen content. And it really is those, those two key components. So let's say you're only posting about your daily life. If people kind of forget why they followed you in the first place, this genuinely happens because I, it happens to me when I follow people. And then also, sometimes you want to work with them and you just don't know how. But you maybe you don't have the time to go like check out their website, especially so many people don't even have a website. But it, like if you're not even talking on social about what you're selling, then how on earth are people supposed to work with you? So if you've done a good job warming them up so they know who you are as a person, show them a little behind the scenes, show them a bit about your life. That's the no like trust category. Later in the week, you talk to them about, in my case, I could tell them about brand archetypes and how this is something that we do in VIP days with me. Then the next time I post, I could talk about VIP days, right? Like it can all lead up to that sales post, but one really can't exist without the other because people will get fatigued of sales. They'll stop following you because they don't understand what they're following you for. Even influencers, you know, you've got to create some variety in there. You have to. And, and that's that's where when we're working with social media clients, we actually break it into the five. So like five content pillars, which is like a very standard thing to do. And mine are, I know already off the top of my head, it's branding, marketing, entrepreneurship, some kind of travel or or local related things, supporting small business. And then what I call wildcard is kind of my last category. So if I notice that I've got a ton of content, which I do right now, that is more geared towards entrepreneurship, personal life, et cetera, I need to swing that pendulum back towards branding. I haven't posted a brand design project on my Instagram yet. And I was telling you about how I was having a crisis about it, but more because I'm in this place of, I want to be able to continue to show our work, but we're booked out. So how do I grapple with this? Like, I don't have capacity to take on more clients without sacrificing the the quality of experience because I'm out of people power. So it's kind of this, it does ebb and flow and change, but all the more reason to share the resources for my audience that that just wants education, right? So like the podcast or free resources or um, things like the different trainings and stuff on my website, like that's a great opportunity for me to then serve that audience, which means my Instagram demographic does kind of shift. So it is this ebb and flow. It does change. It's not always like locked and loaded going to be the same thing every time. And that's natural. Um, But I think for someone who's already listened to now 30 minutes into this episode (laughs) and is like, this is so much, this is so overwhelming. I just need some like quick takeaways for my, my caption copy. Let's get to more the nitty gritty. So something that I notice people struggle with when it comes to writing captions specifically is trying to be personable without losing their professionalism in their copywriting. I tend to be more on the casual side. It's how I talk. Someone told me you blog and you email and you caption just like you talk. And I was like, great, because that's me. Like it's kind of that authenticity piece. But it's sometimes it's hard to do, especially if it's a brand that's not just one person. It's like a a company or there's multiple founders. How can you be personable and invite people in without losing your sense of self or your professionalism? Yeah. So I do think that understanding the nature of your business is step number one. So are you a team? Are you one person? 
based on your audience or so for example if you work a lot with healthcare professionals so linkedin makes a lot of sense for you that platform while you can absolutely be yourself to a certain extent there's some professionalism expected there that's higher than on instagram so just understand that nature of who is it that's going to be talking and who you're going to be talking to where i think those are two important considerations and then absolutely pay attention to the way you talk, right? Like what, what actually is natural for you in each environment? So I often recommend to record yourself having a conversation, maybe with a client, and then just paying attention to the way that you speak to them one-on-one. Like when you know that it's resonating with them, when you have a lot of trust built, notice which posts do better than others. That will also tell you a lot. So one thing I've really, really noticed, especially working with a lot of, in like the coaching sphere, Something that coaches tend to do is basically use coach speak where they'll talk about limiting beliefs or very like confronting almost language that is absolutely professional in their world, but does not resonate with the people that they want to serve. It's not like it's jargon basically for them. They don't know what that means unless they're another coach that they're serving. I mean, it's it's as if I went into a whole post about file types. Where I was like a PDF and an yes. SVG and an EPS. Is it this, is this, is this? Like, that's great for the designers that follow me. It doesn't really mean jack shit to my clients because they're just like, I just need to know how to get it onto a t-shirt. And so it exactly. m- might be useful, but I'm probably missing the mark. And so your educational content and your informative content, I feel still needs to come from that angle of, I want to make sure that this is getting the people who are who need it. And for me, like the entry level point for a lot of clients that come to me or people who find me from social is that they are struggling with their own social media because their brand isn't very strong. So in that case, a caption I wrote recently was like more like struggling to keep your Instagram analytics in the green. Here are three major takeaways that I had from my consulting session literally this morning. And I I listed out three things that were three takeaways from a real client experience, tagged the client, the whole thing of like, what can we actually get into that? These are changes you could make today that will then have a positive impact on your social, hopefully. And then you'll say, wow, you taught me something new. What else do you have? <laughs> and then you, you would keep following me and then maybe work with me because the advice that I gave you was was worth it or was worthy of experimenting with at least. So totally, I think that's where you're, it can tip into that educational content without being salesy, but more more serving from a proof of concept kind of way. Totally. And I think a key element of what you said, too, is really that you're meeting them where they are. So that's why it's so important to understand their psychology. It's why it's important to pay attention to the words that they use, to the context that you're talking to them in, right? Like when we're talking about LinkedIn versus TikTok, right? That's totally different environments, different ways of speaking. So wherever they are, literally online or just mentally in terms of what their knowledge is about what you do, just make sure you're speaking to that. So I have a friend who is a researcher, her name is Kirsten Lee Hill, and she always talks about in the research world or doing surveys, you want to talk to someone like as if they're in third grade. If a third grader would understand the language and you can define things, right? You can use a term and then define it, but define it in a way that they will understand. Then you're guaranteed to be speaking to the, the people who are even very cold in your audience and you're meeting them where they are so you can warm them up. You can welcome them in and say, this, this is for you. This is just one piece of information meeting you where you are. And if you stick around long enough, you're going to start to build a sense of awareness. You're going to learn by following me. And then they'll also realize how much they don't know. And then they'll want to pay you to do and it. And conversely, <laughs> you can use your social media caption copy to also repel the people you don't want to work with. 
So if somebody doesn't like the fact that I cuss or I use like Gen Z slang, then we're probably not going to be a great fit for each other because that is part of my communication style. And it's not like make or break, but it is that simultaneous. You want to attract the right people and repel the wrong people. Um, so a brand that does this hilariously is Hello Tushy which is the bidet attachment. <laughs> and they make so many potty jokes and like total potty humor, which I just find like my inner eight-year-old like giggles every time I see their posts, which is so funny to me. But that could be an absolute turnoff for someone else. But they're okay kind of dipping into that territory because it gives them a, at least a position, right? And to not try to please everyone and to really lean into their authentic brand voice I mean, we're talking about it now on the podcast. It's enough for me to be like, oh, yeah, this caught my attention, right? Where in an attention economy, that's it is memorable and that's, that's everything. For sure. And I think it always goes back to if you're trying to speak to everyone, at the end of the day, you're speaking to no one, right? Like, be you, speak as if you are speaking to a specific person who's ideal for you, even if it's someone in your life. And if you would feel awesome and confident talking to them, that is there's tons of people out there. There are thousands of people out there who will love that about you. Even if there's a million people who don't, like there's so many people on the planet. You don't need to appeal to everyone. Mm -hmm. You just need to find the right people for you because they are out there. Let's go for some, and I didn't prep you with these rapid fire questions that came in from the Facebook group. So we posted on the Facebook group and said, what questions do you guys have about writing social media um, copy and content? And I'll ask you, and then we'll just give us your like first quickest answer. Okay. These are from Colleen. You're going to be fine. It'll be good. I'll help you. Colleen. Colleen's great. I know, right? Colleen is her handle is the developing professional. She does social media and marketing for small businesses. She's based in Florida. Um, but her questions, she had like four in a row. So we're going to hit them, Colleen. Here you go. <laughs> okay. Emma, what are the nuances between different industries and creating informed copy based on industry differences? I think what she means, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. So nuances between different industries and forming copy based around those. I think this goes to what we just talked about, about personable versus professional. Obviously, if you're a lawyer, well, maybe not, obviously. If you're a lawyer, you're probably going to lean more towards the educational, pretty like buttoned up, very like, uh, this is what this definition means. And here's how you're going to protect yourself and security and all these things. Um, versus somebody who is an influencer who can be a little bit more off the cuff and and a little bit more casual, right? Based on the, the nature of their industry. I think it goes back to that archetype talk and it goes into yes. uh, how can you talk to your audience where they're at, which you already answered. What other thoughts came to mind when I asked that question? Yeah, I, I think you essentially covered it. And I think that one piece, I love the lawyer example because it shows how, yes, your industry plays a role. And at the same time, your archetype is so much more powerful than that and the specific people you want to serve. Because I think of two examples. I can't remember the one woman's name. If I find it, we can definitely put it in the show notes. But there is a lawyer based in the U.S. who focuses on small business owners who are very spiritual. So she talks about the chakras in law, right? So that is very, like, not typically professional. And yet that makes people love her and stand out. And then there's also a YouTuber who's a lawyer who's, I think his name is Legal Eagle. And he compares, like, medical dramas and whether that would actually hold up in court or, like, all sorts of cartoons and whether it would hold up in court. So he's giving real information, like, legal information and teaching, but through a lens that his ideal client 
thinks is awesome and fun and resonates with. So yes, it depends a bit on your industry, but it has honestly so much more to do with you, your archetype, and then the specific people you want to speak to. And same goes for branding, like branding for a wedding planner that only wants to do destination weddings in Italy versus planning for a wedding planner in New York City that wants to put on thousand person events like those are they are different approaches it's it's very similar in that you want to figure out like who that unique voice is without um without losing track of who you're talking to i think was the takeaway okay next question length of copy ideal length for the platforms and also uh dependent on the industry for this answer Colleen, you were just typing without forming questions here we go <laughs> ideal length length for each platform what do we recommend? Okay, so step one will be whatever your preferred platforms are, just double check the character length. Like do a Google search, check the character length, and just have that in mind as you write. So because that will change. So it's it's going to be different. However, you will know about your person's attention span. <laughs> so for example, I as a sage archetype, going back to archetypes again, I know that I attract other sages who like longer form copy, who like details, who want to read a lot. So I do put out those posts on places where it's possible, like particularly Instagram. It's, you know, there's a lot of text available on Instagram. And then there's also certain posts where I try my best, even as a sage, to keep it really concise. So that way I am speaking to people who are still my ideal client, but who are maybe not exactly the same as me, because there's still a little bit of range. So I still try to vary it up and then you can track what performs better, right? If I'm noticing constantly, it's just a long form that does well, I'll just start focusing on that because it's easier for me anyway. And then there's also, you know, places like LinkedIn are very, very short, the amount of text you can put out in a normal post. You can always put more in an article, but then use that as an opportunity, right? Like how does that make you be super, super concise? So I will take an Instagram post that's longer and I will just cut it down to its bare bones, essential pieces. And I'll put that on LinkedIn. So it's, you know, I wouldn't worry too, too much about length, as long as you're not spending a ton of time writing something that has to get cut in half. But, and you could always continue in the comments if you had to, but I wouldn't focus more on like, what are the opportunities of, of each platform? Absolutely agree. I also think you're spot on with saying, look at your analytics and see what performs. Following have like, Big heavy hitter accounts and trying to emulate them is sometimes a good idea, but most of the time not um, because you, I mean, like Bella Hadid, for example, can post like a, a butterfly emoji and get all these likes, but they're not, she's not doing anything for anyone with that content. So we're not, you're not Bella Hadid. So we, we can <laughs> roll that back a little bit and figure out what performs best. I know the kind of copy that I like to read, which is very punctuated. It's very um, like easily spelled out that above the fold before you click more copy is intriguing enough for me to actually read through the whole caption. And the ones I scroll right by are the ones that are journal entries that are six paragraphs long. I'm not interested. Like I want to know exactly what information I want to get out of that post as soon as I see it, but that's my user behavior. And most of the people that consume my content online, I think are very similar to me in that they appreciate getting high value content in a short amount of time. So that's going to obviously like wax and wane based on the industry, the individual, the business, et cetera, the archetypes. But checking on what's performing is, is ideal. Um, we talked about having great call to actions, not like wimpy ones, but ones that are direct and really tell people exactly, people want to be told exactly what to do. So one of the things that people overlook when it comes to copywriting for social is, okay, my call to action is for somebody to book a consult with me. 
Like if that's the, the call to action, like what can your other call to actions be on your other posts that aren't asking for a sale that are more of like, tell me about a time that you made a fool of yourself on a vacation. Like now you've got somebody who can like actually pull out that specific thing and tell you that in the comment section and have some rapport and like have some conversation that's not asking them exactly to do the thing that you're asking them to, but encouraging them to like involve themselves in your brand in another way. Exactly. And to make it even more explicit what those instructions are, I will often add like, tell me about whatever the question was like about, I can't remember, you just said it, like the ocean. And the most ridiculous, <laughs> embarrassing thing you did on a vacation. On a vacation. Okay. Tell me in the comments below. Like make it explicit or save that, save this post to come back to it. Send this to a friend, share to your stories. If you agree, drop an emoji, if X, Y, Z, blah, 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 like create some ways to get people engaged in a different kind of way, because it's assumed by the fact of you posting that you want them to like your image. So duh, like, and we're, we're speaking to Instagram specifically here. So you can skip that one and you can pretty much like skip anything that's too vague, go for that hyper-specific and go for something that will be a conversation starter. And you're giving somebody a really easy way to participate in your brand. Okay. This next question from Colleen is also, I feel like we've kind of talked it to death, but copy differences on social between awareness, sales, informational, and entertaining. Those are just more terminologies to call your different categories of content, I would say, or your content pillars depends on which way you want to drive it. But I think the differences in the copy are really those call to actions. If it's just a brand awareness post, you can still have a call to action. Sales are going to have a super clear call to action, buyer candle, sign up for a discovery call, um, book a meeting with me, et cetera. Informational and entertaining kind of come more in that brand awareness category, correct? And the, the copywriting formula I use most often can be used for both. So really, like you said, it's literally the call to action that makes it different yeah. <laughs> most of yeah. the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, Madison has a question. How can someone best prepare when they're enlisting a copywriter's help for ultimate success? What kind of information should you know before you reach out to working with someone to help you with your copy? Yeah. Okay. So if they are just a copywriter, so in my case, I am a brand messaging strategist and a copywriter. So if they're just a copywriter, speak to someone who does brand messaging first. (laughs) So like, for example, teaming up with myself and Michelle would be a good option because what you do there with brand messaging is you get super clear on mission, vision, purpose statement. You figure out what your core values are. We would do archetype work. We would basically, and like the way I work is if I'm working one-on-one with a client, I'll put together a brand voice guide, just like Michelle puts together a visual branding document with hex color or hex codes and all that kind of stuff, basically that you can share with your team. You can share with new people who come on. We do the same thing with the brand voice guide. If you have one of those and you can hand that to a copywriter, that is perfect. Then they should absolutely be able to encapsulate your voice. And if you don't have that in place, look for a copywriter like me, for example, who does both of those pieces. Like that is, I will not take on a project at this point anymore without working on their brand voice work first, because that's where you're going to feel like they, if they're basically ghostwriting for you, you want it to feel really true to you. You want to feel confident about what's going out there. You want to make sure that your people are resonating with it emotionally. And the only way is if they're hyper clear on the voice that you have. So that would be number one, messaging, making sure that's super, super clear. Um, the other thing would be to be clear on what you're hoping to get out of this, right? Like, is this really copywriting or is this actually a content marketing project? Do you want someone to write blog posts for you or do you want them to write sales content? Because there, some people will not do both. 
Some people are very, very specific. So if you look for a copywriter and it's really blog content you want, they might say they can do it, but they may not know the SEO that goes into a blog post, for example. They may not have the background. So I think having that super clear is really, really important as well. And honestly, like just get to know them a little bit. See if you like that person, because hopefully you're going to be working with them on and off, possibly for a really long time. If they're a good partner, just like working with Michelle, (laughs) you know, I think we're probably, what are we, six months into our relationship at this point? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it's only going up from here. So you're going to want someone who's a true partner who gets your business and you never have to go through this messaging process with them again. They just know. Exactly. You. Exactly. And I think that those are having that kind of person that is a partner that can kind of involve with your business and grow with your business and then also grow with your client list and, and what their needs are. I feel like that's kind of this new there. Ashley said in her podcast, new level, new devil. And I loved that where it's not necessarily the devil is in like this evil thing, but more of like a new hurdle. Like you reach a new level in business and now you've got a new set of hurdles where it's like, okay, I'm now at this plateau. And now how does this one become the next one? What obstacles am I going to have to overcome? And for me, that was like outsourcing copy is I am a decent writer. Like I did all my writing for six years. So like I know how to write in my brand voice, but having someone like Emma on my team or having Emma really truly on my team has been great because it allows me to kind of think in a different way and then let her come in with her skill set and just knock it out of the park and like take it and run with it. Um, So if you're that business that you struggle with forming your thoughts together or even you're good at it, but it's just not your best use of your time because your time's better spent on other stuff, that's when bringing in a copywriter is super duper helpful. So Emma, where can people find you, follow you, see your stuff uh, and be kind of part of the Emma Givens universe? Yeah. So you can find me at all times on emmagivens.com. Uh, I probably would say I'm the most active on Instagram. So you could find, find me at Emma Givens Writer. And I also have a YouTube channel. And this is an area where you're going to get a lot more of the content that Michelle and I chatted about today. So all the way through, you know, the details of copywriting formulas, you know, how would you use what we talked about today on an about page, all that kind of stuff. Um, so you can find me there at Emma Givens writer, I think it also is. <laughs> but check out Emma Gibbons and you'll find me on YouTube. Thank you. Michelle. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for joining. I know this was a, a mammoth of an episode, but there's lots of good stuff to get into and we'll catch you next time. See ya. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Kiss My Aesthetic podcast. Don't forget to rate review and follow us on Apple Podcasts or really anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to come on over to the Kiss My Aesthetic Facebook group, same name as the podcast. And lastly, if you're looking for those resources, links, or anything else we talked about on today's episode, you can find those on my website, mkwcreative.co slash kmapod. Catch you next time.